Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome everyone here on this Lord's Day and everyone joining with us online as well. It is a beautiful day outside and a wonderful day for us to gather and worship our Lord. A few announcements as we open our service this morning. I've got quite a few here, actually. Um, we had our annual meeting last night of the membership, and praise God, that meeting went well. If any of you are interested, um, you can ask myself or Tony, and we can make sure that you get a, a copy of kind of the minutes of the meeting and how that went. Also, most of you will be aware that we are deeply connected with two groups in the Philippines, Pastor Roly and Pastor June, that we support as missionaries, and both of them have sent us their reports. You can expect their reports to be sent out via email to our kind of church email list shortly. And if you're interested in just seeing hard copy, we have copies of both their reports pinned to that back wall in the foyer. In the back wall in the foyer, you'll see a giant globe-looking bulletin board, and that has some of our, our missions work that is going on. And right now, June and Rolly are our two, two missionaries to kind of keep your eye on. As far as our AGM results are concerned, we have re-elected Rob Urquhart as a deacon in our church, and that brings our current deacon complement up to three. We have Rob Urquhart, we have Ed Kadju, and then we have Sito Manuba. And for our church's bylaws, we have a minimum of four for our deacons, and that means we currently are under our minimum. So what we have done in the meantime is our elders are de facto members of each council and board. And so our elder liaison to the deacons board will be serving with two hats. Yes, he wants me mic school. Thank you. Yeah, so our, our elders liaison is going to be kind of filling a deacon role as well as an elder's role for, for the time being. But... Uh, Let's take that as an encouragement for each one of our members and adherents to find ways that they can be actively involved in the ministries and the life of Elk Point Baptist Church. And last two announcements, um, neither of them are particularly joyful announcements, but uh, um, one, I do want to announce that there has been a date set for a celebration of life for uh, Clinton Pavistruck. Um That will be April 1st here at the church. So just mark that off. I believe it's at 1 p.m. is last I heard, but more details will be forthcoming for that. And April 1st, we'll be having a celebration of life for Clinton here. And I also want to acknowledge the fact that we lost a dear brother in Jerry DeBow in this past week. And uh, it, was, it was a big blow to many of us. And I wanted to thank the people of Elk Point Baptist Church who have done such an amazing job keeping in contact with and loving on Jerry. Um, after hearing that he had passed and talking with people, I know that on Sunday he had phone calls with both myself and with Ed, and he had in-person visits with Dick and Tony and probably others. So Jerry was well-loved on even in his, in his hospital room, and we can look forward to seeing our brother again someday. We don't have any details at this point as far as when there will be a 
celebration of life for him. I know that his family is waiting for some to come up from Arizona and that kind of stuff. So as we get any details about a celebration of life for Jerry, we will make sure to pass it along as we find those things out. So I think that exhausts my list of announcements. So would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging your greatness and your glory. We see in the world around us, we see from your word and the incredible works that you have done among us that you are truly a fantastic and amazing and omniscient and all-powerful and all-knowing God. And Lord, we trust the service into your care and trust each element of our lives into your care, knowing that you are God and you are sovereign. And we ask that as we worship you this morning, that we would bring you all honor and glory and praise. That every element of this service would glorify you and that our hearts and our minds would be turned towards you and turned away from the distractions which would tend to pull us away. Lord, may our eyes be fixed upon you and your son Jesus Christ in this service this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in this way and worship in this way and we pray that you would continue to afford us this opportunity and that we would not take it for granted. May we would worship you wholeheartedly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. From Hebrews chapter 13. Through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Would you please... Stand as you're able and join with us in worship here this morning.
seated. Jesus is King. It's a beautiful song. Laying our lives before him, ready to serve. At this time, we're going to ask Miss Becky's class to come up with their time of worship to tell us their memory verse that they practiced this week and share it with us all. Wonderful, wonderful to see these young people glorifying God with their enthusiasm to such a great king. And I ask the gentlemen that are going to uh, serve the offering today, if you could come up, please. And we're going to read from Psalms 8. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 8, we're going to read the, the Lord's glory in man's dignity. Psalm 8, chapter 8, verse 1 says, Our Lord, our... Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. Because of your adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you this day. We praise you for the kindness and the mercy you've shown each one of us through your son. The patience that you have for each one of us. The way you care for us in our, you hold us in your hand. You've engraved your names in, our, in the palms of your hand. You've written our names in the Lamb's Book of Life and taken the time to count the hairs of our heads. You own the cattle of a thousand hills. You've set the stars in place exactly where you wanted them to hang perfectly. And you've given us every breath we've taken till this very day. So, Father, today we bring you our offerings joyfully and willingly, willing to contribute to your kingdom. We ask, Lord, that you would bless this. Bless this time of offering as we worship you with our, with our offerings back to you, a portion of what you've given us. You blessed us richly. We do have joy, Lord. We do have smiles. 
we do have peace when we rest in you, when we rest in your word and we rest in your promises. Again, Lord, hold us in your hands as we go out this week with one another, remembering the mercy you've shown us that we would be kind and generous to those around us, those in need, those who are perhaps lonely, those who are suffering. But again, Lord, you've cared for us, taken us under your own, called us one of the elect, one of your children, preparing a place for us in your Father's house. There's much to consider, Lord, when we think of all the fine things that you've done for us. Let us never take this for granted. So today, Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory, and we ask you would accept these offerings from us and bless our time of fellowship, Lord. May it be sweet as we continue to worship and glorify you. In your son's magnificent holy name, amen. that you would stand with us as we continue to worship.
returning power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to stay. Yeah. 
What a wonderful reminder of the many names of our God. Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 36, if you would like to turn there. This is Peter speaking at the time of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. And the Holy Spirit fulfills God's promise to dwell with us. He dwells within us as believers, and he secures our s and seals our salvation in Christ. And the passage confirms the certainty of Jesus being Lord and Christ and sitting at the right hand of God the Father on David's throne. After his death and resurrection, ascension, and exaltation. Acts 22, or 2, 22 to 36. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, for yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. You are the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, and to you be honor and glory forever and ever. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name, for you are the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You alone have immortality. You dwell in unapproachable light, and to you alone we give honor and recognize your eternal dominion. We come to you this morning, O Lord, knowing that we have sinned against you in many ways. We have failed to do what we ought to do, and we have done what we should not have done. We have given in to the desires of the flesh so many times, to idolatry, to greed, to covetousness, to pride, to lust, to envy, to gossip. And we cry out to you, have mercy on us, O Lord, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For we know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Against you and you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. We thank you, O Father, you, that you will never cast us away from your presence, nor will you take your Holy Spirit from us. 
we plead to you to restore the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit. Lord, today we cling to the promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Wash us and we shall be clean. We thank you for Jesus who bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be reconciled to you. We thank you that we now have no condemnation in your sight and that we can have peace with you through the shed blood of Christ on our behalf. We pray now that we may work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, that we may be holy as you are holy, and that we may walk in love each day. We thank you that you have given us the desire and the ability to work or to live in obedience to you. Give us the strength to do so. We pray that we would not love the things of the world, that we would not be taken in by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. Help us to seek the, to kill the sin in our life and to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our everyday life. Lord, may the families and the marriages in this church shine as lights in the world today in this crooked and perverse generation. Help us to reflect your glory in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our communities. We pray now for the civil authorities that we live under we pray that they would rule righteously and honor the position that you have placed them in. We pray for their salvation. We pray for the Christian ministry in our community, in our province, in our country, and in indeed around the globe. We thank you for the good reports that we have received from the faithful men in the Philippines. We praise you and thank you for the ministry of Pastor June and Pastor Rolly there. To you alone be the glory. We pray for the salvation of all men, that your gospel would advance around the globe to every tribe and tongue and nation. We also intercede for the afflicted around the world in our, and in our midst. We think of the great loss of life with the massive earthquake in Turkey and the suffering that is happening there. We pray that your church would be there to minister to the suffering and that your gospel would be proclaimed there to those in need. We pray for the afflicted in our own midst. We have suffered the loss of a faithful friend and adherent here, and we pray for the family and close friends of Gerald Dubow as they grieve his passing. We pray for the many who are waiting for medical procedures as a result of tests in our midst. We pray that your hand of comfort would be upon them as they trust in your good and sovereign hand. We pray for mercy for those suffering in pain this morning. Grant them a measure of relief today. We pray for the safe arrival of baby Bateman and Jim and Deborah's grandchild this coming, in these coming days. All things are in your hand and we trust you for you are good. As we prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word, open our eyes to the truth therein. Soften our hearts. Teach us your truth. May we submit to the truth of what we hear today. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. 
We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This time, any children ages three to kindergarten who are in our children's church program can find their way out into your children's church class. As always, my thanks to my brothers and sisters in the faith that have already gone before me today and faithful ministry in our service, and now we have the opportunity to continue in worship through the preaching of God's Word. We're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 1. We've been looking at Paul's prayer from the end of chapter 1 here. Last week we looked at verses 15 through 19, and these verses focused on what Paul prayed for these dear saints and the desired effects of his prayers. And this week we move into verses 20 to 23, which become something of a sidebar of worship within this prayer where Paul expands upon the glory of God as displayed particularly in the resurrection and glorification of our Lord Jesus. But since this is all one element of prayer and it all flows together, I'll ask that we Read the whole prayer from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, and then we will run down to verse 23. Ephesians 1, 15, and running down to verse 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is... God's holy word. This passage speaks much of the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And verse 19 kind of sets the stage for our passage in verses 20 to 23. But when you think of power, what immediately comes to mind for you? Maybe you think of political power, the ability of national leaders to sway world politics and the fates of many within their countries. Maybe you think of financial power, how with a word certain men and women and companies can 
swing entire fortunes on the stock markets. Maybe you think of physical power, the great strong men of history, or even the great physical power shown in the incredible animals that God has given us through nature. And there are a few electricians among us that when they think of power, they think of their work. But there are as many avenues for us to define power as there are skills and abilities and forces here on this earth. But what about when you think of God's power? For me, I'm often pulled to those kind of three core attributes that come to mind, God's omniscience and his omnipresence, and of course his one attribute is omnipotence, which in itself is just to be powerful without limit. He is all-powerful. Starting in verse 19, Paul's prayer for these saints in Ephesus is that by the revelation of God, they would comprehend what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. When we are thinking of the great powers of this world, political, financial, physical, intellectual, whatever it might be, we're likely thinking about some of the things that have the greatest ability to influence our lives and direct the world around us. That in itself is the definition of power, the ability to influence the world. But it is not worldly men and worldly forces with their admittedly incredible levels of power that have the greatest ability to influence the lives of man. The ultimate power in this world, the force capable of affecting the most significant change in the human life is the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the work that has been done, God's power exercised towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty strength. God is the ultimate power and the gospel is how we know it. And when we talk about the gospel, we typically do a fairly adequate job in identifying the importance of the perfect and sinless life of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is one of those favorite kind of life verse type passages. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Many of us are very familiar with that. We are quite familiar that Christ lived a perfect and sinless life. And also we cannot help but to acknowledge the, the death of Christ. If you ask just about any child, what Jesus did for his people, the first answer is that he died on the cross for our sin. We recently spent a bunch of time in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We are quite familiar with the importance of the death of Christ. And both the life and death of Christ are incredible truths that should have great influence on our lives, but sometimes we allow these first two truths to 
overshadow these second two elements that we are going to look at today, the resurrection and the glorification of Christ. And we cannot allow that to be the case. Nothing that Christ did on this earth, no part of his existence was without purpose or meaning. And each part of his perfect sinless life, his effective substitutionary death, his resurrection on the third day, and his glorification to the right hand of God the Father, they're all necessary elements in the divine rescue plan that God sent in motion before the beginning of the world. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In our passage this morning, when Paul says to these saints in Ephesus, and to us today, that the immeasurable greatness of God's power, the mighty working of God's strength, it is worked, it is exercised, it is exerted, it is brought about, it is wrought. All of these are words used in our various translations, but it gets across that in this, the resurrection and the glorification of our Lord Jesus, may we know the incredible power of our God. May we know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Recently, we talked about the inheritance and the seal of the Holy Spirit that we have received as God's people. And I don't think it's an accident here that Paul progresses to the resurrection and the glorification after talking about this inheritance. Our inheritance only comes if Jesus is indeed raised and glorified. We are all very aware, and even just naturally in our world, that there's something beautiful about the idea that one man would lay down his life for another. Throughout all of human history, that has been a defining characteristic of the greatest of men, that they would be willing to lay down their own lives, that they would be willing to sacrifice their own lives for their brothers. This is borne out in Scripture in John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. But if I were to lay down my life for you, as noble as my intentions might be, and as loving of an action as that might be, I would die, and I would remain dead because I too justly deserve to die and stay dead, just as each of us do. Also, I am sinful. I am no more able to perfectly stand as a sacrifice for you than a sheep was able to stand as a sacrifice for the people under the old covenant. And as such, if I were to lay down my life for you, all of us, both of us, would 
remain eternally condemned because we are both fallen and sinful people. We recognize that there is value in being willing to lay down our life for one another. There is incredible love in being willing to lay down our life for one another. But there's something missing that we cannot pay for one another's burdens. In Jesus, this is not the case. Just think, if Jesus had died and stayed dead, if he had gone to the cross and stayed dead, as many of those who would push back against Christ would say, one, he would have been made a liar, failing to accomplish what he has promised. Jesus said he would raise again on the third day, and if he did not do that, then he is no better than a liar. And as importantly, he would have proven that he was not a worthy sacrifice and that God had refused the sacrifice of Christ on behalf of his people. Jesus claimed he would go to the cross on behalf of his people and the resurrection and the glorification of Christ are a key part of that whole story. The Christian hope. The inheritance to which we hope to attain, it depends on Christ being who he claimed to be and all of who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God, the Son become flesh. He claimed to have lived a perfect life and to obey God perfectly. We depend on Jesus doing what he claimed to have done that is perfectly fulfilling the requirements of the law on our behalf and laying himself down as the sacrifice on behalf of his people. And in the resurrection and glorification of Christ, we can know that these things have been accomplished. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, has raised Christ again from the dead. And Christ is now far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He has been given the place of honor and glory as befits only the holy God, the Son. To say that Christ is above all rule and authority and power and dominion is to remind us that Christ has been raised not only from the grave, but he has ascended to the throne. We came back time and again and again to Hebrews chapter 1 in verse 3 where it says, After making purification for sins, he, that is Christ, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, becoming as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. No angel or demon or any other being in heaven or earth can, can, can claim the glory that God the Son has received at the hand of his Father. This same Jesus who laid down his own life, this same Jesus whom man crucified has now risen to rule and reign at the right hand of God the Father. But he does not idly sit on his throne awaiting the day of his return. No, according to Romans 8.34, we know that even now Jesus is at the right hand of God. Indeed, he is interceding for us. And in 1 John 2, 1, we read that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He has come before his Father, and he has come to be 
an advocate for us and to intercede for his people. Just because Jesus has ascended to the throne, has ascended far above our earthly existence, doesn't mean that he has left his people behind. He ascended and is now continuing his ministry as our great high priest before the Father in the heavenly temple. And as we will read later, he still remains the head of his church. Paul quotes Psalm 8, which Ed read for us earlier, when he says that the Lord put all things under his feet. And when Paul says this in our passage, he's kind of bringing this whole prayer that he has here in for a landing. It's a core piece of this passage. There is some incredible theology that undergirds what we've read here this morning. The incredible glory of Christ, the power of God displayed in the resurrection and the glorification of the Son, and we must understand these things. But remember that specifically here, Paul is praying for the saints. The saints in Ephesus, he is praying for them. He wants them to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. For us to just know things about God is well and good. And we should seek to know things about God, but there is an element where we need to know what that means for us, what that means for his people. And throughout Scripture, there's this awesome ebb and flow of God revealing things about himself and teaching his people of himself, then intertwined with these various elements of application and exhortation and comfort and encouragement. And each passage can contain multiple of these elements, but no passage of Scripture is without purpose and without intent. Just as there were no idle moments of Jesus' life that were without meaning, there are no idle pieces of Scripture. And as we learn here of the resurrection and glorification of Christ, Paul starts to draw it together, starting with that quote from Psalm 8. He put all things together under his feet. And if you go back to Psalm 8, the context of that passage in Psalm 8 is specifically directed at man as the pinnacle of God's created work. In Psalm 8, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. That dominion language, if we're familiar with our Old Testament, should toss us even further back to the mandate given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created Adam to steward all of creation, to bear forth God's image in creation. But we know how that story goes. 
God creates Adam. He gives him this task of bringing this dominion over the world, and he gives him one rule. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, Adam and Eve both eat, and in Adam, through the introduction of sin, all mankind is condemned. And yet Adam does still carry with him, and Adam's race does carry with them a mandate to rule over God's creation, even now marred by sin and the effects of sin. And then comes Christ. Christ comes and does what Adam should have done. He lives as Adam should have lived, perfectly obedient to God the Father. And in the end, the Father places all things under his feet. And he gave him, who is Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Adam and his progeny were meant to bear God's image into creation and to exercise rule and dominion as God's representatives in creation. And it was a task at which they failed quite spectacularly. They broke the clear commandments of the Lord and marred creation almost beyond recognition. And that continues until Christ comes as a second Adam. Romans 5 brings us really clearly to this whole idea of Christ as the second Adam. Starting in verse 12, he, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, death reigned from Adam to Moses. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. In Christ, the failures of Adam are swallowed up. The success of Christ, the righteous life and perfect obedience that Adam should have accomplished is accomplished. And in the resurrection and glorification of Christ, the incredible and almighty power of the Lord is abundantly on display. The Lord, by the might of his power, raises and glorifies the perfect Son, and in that one moment, as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. In the resurrection and in the glorification of Christ, all of the brokenness that came through Adam is set right for those who are in Christ. 
in that moment, the inheritance of the saints is secured, for God has accepted the sacrifice of the Son. The infinite value of Christ's sacrifice is recognized as having paid the infinite penalty due for all who would come to Christ. For all who, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We are holy and blameless before him based upon the resurrection of Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Again, God places everything under the feet of the one who has accomplished these things, Jesus Christ. And then he does something equally as incredible. He gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If we really get into it, the wording here in the ESV could be difficult for us. What does it mean that God gave Christ as the head over all things to the church? Christ is not handed over to the church to do with as they please, even as Pilate handed Christ over to the Jews. Christ is not handed over to the church in that way. We cannot do with Christ as we please. We cannot do with Christ and his word as we please. Christ has been given to the church not as a tool or to become subject to his people. Christ has been glorified beyond all earthly powers or abilities to contain him. Instead, Christ has been given to the church in the sense that God has given the church their king that they so desperately needed. Christ has been given to the church as the priest that we could not raise for ourselves. Christ has been given to the church as the prophet that would speak only truly and clearly and rightly the word that comes from the Father. This church, both in Ephesus and beyond, that Paul is praying for has been given the incredible, risen, glorified Son as their leader. Paul calls Christ their head. This body of believers is to be led and directed and guided by God the Son himself. When we look at any organization throughout history, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at a business or a sports team or whatever you might look at, the key part of that organization is who leads it. It might come as a surprise to you, but in the last little bit, I have really started to enjoy combined orchestral and choir music, seeing this orchestra and this choir come together to bring out these amazing pieces. Many of many times singing in languages they don't even understand. And what brings these two groups together, this orchestra and this choir, and makes them all work together to do what they do is the conductor. The conductor who himself is not playing any of the instruments. He is the one that is directing every part of this whole piece. You quiet now, you up now, and brings them all together. He organizes the whole thing. It doesn't matter what organization you're a part of, who it is that's leading that organization is going to be key 
to how that organization functions. And we have the privilege of being called the body of Christ, headed by God the Son. And we have been given the privilege, according to His will and according to His power, to accomplish and affect His works in this world. The power that has accomplished this seemingly insurmountable task of reconciliation between God and man is the incarnate God, the Son, Jesus Christ. The same power that raised the Lord Jesus from the grave and lifted Him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named is the same one at work in the hearts and lives of the saints as the individual members of Christ's body and more particularly in this passage, by virtue of their connection to Christ the head as part of the church. Paul prays that the saints would know the incredible power and greatness and might of the Lord. And he gives the example of Christ's resurrection and glorification and ties it up that this same Christ and the same power that has raised and glorified him is the head of the church. When we see ourselves as Christ's body, we have to be aware that this body only has strength and power and vitality and life because of the one who is the head, our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to realize that this great inheritance that we have, which has been promised and sealed in the giving of the Holy Spirit, is entirely dependent upon Christ. Both his life and his death as well as his resurrection and glorification. We've talked much lately about our responsibility as saints to worship God in the church and worship God with the use of our gifts in the church and to be involved in the works of the church. This is not simply because it is a good thing to do. This is not simply because well, someone needs to do it. We have been tasked with working as a part of the church because Christ is the head of the church and we are the body of Christ. God has gifted us each individually with specific gifts designed for use in the church. And as such, every single one of us in our Christian walk has the responsibility of using our gifts and abilities not just on our own, not just in our own spheres, but in the context of the gathered church. And I encourage each one of us to find ways to connect with our church and to use our gifts and our abilities for God's glory in the church. As Paul finishes his opening salvo in this letter to the saints in Ephesus, he ends not only with an incredible exposition of the wonders of the resurrection and the glorification of Christ, he also reminds these believers whom he is about to exhort regarding the nature of their faith and the nature of the church, he reminds these believers that all of this comes only because of the risen and resurrected Christ, whom is the head of the church given charge of this communion of saints and without whom there is no church. 
and without whom there is no communion of saints. So as we go from here this morning, as we live the life of both individual followers of Christ walking out our Christian life in day to day, and as corporate members of Christ's body, the church, let us always return to our awareness of the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. If we know the immeasurable power of our God, who is capable even of raising Christ from the grave and glorifying him to his own right hand, there is no power, no anything in our world that can stand between us and what God has called us to do. And if we know, according to Scripture, that God has called us to share his gospel with the nations, to be his image bearers in creation, to go forth into our friend groups, go forth into our workplaces, go forth into our homes and our families, and bear the image of Christ and bear the good news of the gospel, the power to do that is found in Christ, and we can know that power is found in Christ because that power has been exercised in raising and glorifying our Lord Jesus Christ. May each one of us live to the praise of his glory, and may each one of us, in all things, give glory to Christ. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, we thank you that for most of us here, most of us listening online, you have granted that we might come and know you. You have given us the gift of faith. And you have given the gift of your Holy Spirit, and we have seen fruits that point to real and vital faith. But Lord, the world that we live in is hard. The world that we live in is against you, and it is easy to, at times, lose faith and lose heart in the face of the difficulties that we would face. But remind us to look towards your immeasurable power and your immeasurable greatness and your fantastic glory that you have displayed in all things, not the least of which is the resurrection and glorification of your Son, Jesus. May we be encouraged that the Son has been raised and glorified. May we worship for the Son has been raised and glorified. May we live for you because the Son has been raised and glorified. May our eyes remain always fixed upon your Son, Jesus. No matter the joys or the pains, the absolute mountaintop highs or the deepest valleys of lows, 
May our eyes remain fixed upon your Son, knowing that you have worked greatly in your people, and you have placed your Son as the head of the church, that we have a great prophet, priest, and king that is our leader, that is taking us forward, and we can trust our leader, we can trust the direction he is taking us, for he is the one true God the Son. Lord, may you be glorified in your church. May you be glorified in the way that each one of us lives our lives. And may we use our lives for your glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now as we close with Paul, I say, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. God bless you. Have a good week. Lord willing, we'll see you downstairs for Sunday school.